0: Uh, We have some pew Bibles available in the uh, pews in front of you. And in case you are visiting with us for the first time, we believe that the scriptures of the Old and New Testament are the inerrant and inspired and authoritative word of the true and living God. And it is our uh, typical practice to uh, preach through books of the Bible. And so uh, we are now um, and have been... um, Moving through the book of Acts, passage by passage, we find ourselves in Acts chapter 6 verses 1 through 7. There is a, uh, an outline on the back of your bulletins. Uh, it's rather general this week. Um, the title is incorrect. Instead of effective evangelism, it is Divisions of Labor. Please hear the word of God, beginning with um, verse 1 of Acts chapter 6. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, and the Hellenists would be the... um, whom we will appoint to this duty but we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit and Philip and Porchorus and uh, Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas uh, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them and the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples Multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Let's pray. Almighty God, as we have read your word and now uh, I am given the task of uh, proclaiming it in uh, your people's hearing, I pray that it would accomplish everything that uh, the Holy Spirit intends for it to accomplish. Uh, fill me with your spirit that I might um, proclaim your word with your power. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. G. Campbell Morgan said that the church is a perfect organism possessed of all the organs necessary for fulfilling her God-given mission. And in saying this, he was comparing the church to the human body. Uh, God has given us um, bodies that are beautifully equipped by God to do everything that He requires us to do. We need air to breathe. So God has given us a respiratory system to take that air and process the oxygen uh, that we need. We need oxygen to be distributed to every part of our body, to our toes and our fingertips as well as to our lungs. And so God has given us a circulatory system to move the blood throughout our bodies so that we will have the oxygen necessary uh, in every part of our bodies. We need food to grow. So God has given us a digestive system that breaks the food down into energy, that removes the waste. We also need, as a uh, race of people, as, as human beings, to uh, reproduce. And so God has given us reproductive systems. Um, we, he's given us the uh Women, the ability to carry a, a baby around uh, in in their tummy, you know to full term. and that is truly one of the remarkable works of God. And so uh, we have everything we need. For life, we have we have been equipped by God with everything that we need to do uh, what He um, requires of us human beings to do, uh, and from a physical standpoint. And so, likewise, God has equipped the church with everything necessary for her to fulfill her God-given mission. This applies to the church universal, the worldwide church, the church in Uganda, the church here in America. And it also applies here locally to us as a congregation. God has equipped Westminster Presbyterian Church with everything we need to perfectly and completely fulfill the mission that God has given to us. We think of ourselves. I, I, I feel, oftentimes, as a as being a small church, as um, lacking some of the key resources that some of the larger churches here in Brandon uh, take for granted. But those resources that we do not have are not essential to our to our mission that God has given us. And by the way. We actually are one of the larger churches here in Brandon. I've heard statistics that over 75%, well over 75% of the churches here in America are under 100 uh, members. And so we are in the top 25% uh, we could easily reason of uh, churches in terms of numbers so we can never use our size as an excuse. Never use our uh, lack of resources as an excuse for not fulfilling our God-given mission. You say, well, what is our mission? In a word, our mission is the Great Commission. Jesus said go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you this means in short that we as a congregation are tasked by God to go and make followers of Jesus Christ this means that we are to be involved in the task of evangelism then we are to baptize them, which means connecting them to the body of Christ. How do we do this? Through loving and thoughtful care. Um, we, we introduce them to the sacraments. We also introduce them to the life of the church. This is um, worship and fellowship. And then we are to teach those converts in fact we are to teach the entire congregation to obey everything that Christ has commanded us and this of course would be um, teaching, preaching, Christian education so evangelism fellowship worship, education these are the basics and God has given us everything we need to fulfill this mission So what has God given us to fulfill our mission? This mission of being faithful to the Great Commission. Well, He has given us you. He's not only given you a pastor, He has given us as a congregation you. He has given you me with all my sins and my brokenness, but He's also given you you in all your sins, in all your brokenness, in all your insecurities, in all your hang-ups. This is who we are. The church, after all, is a hospital for sinners. But God has also given us you with your faith in Christ, with your spiritual gifts and with your talents. And ultimately, that is all we need to fulfill our God-given mission. And the early church was aware of this. That's why Luke notes in Acts chapter 6, verse 7, the last verse in our passage, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. They were being faithful and successful in their God-given mission. And so Luke wants to make sure that he notes this. The question for us is, Will we be faithful with the resources God has given us? The reason why this is important, and for me to mention this about our mission, is because our text this morning uh, talks about a division of labor within the church. The church needs to be organized in order for her to be effective in her work. In fact, the Apostle Paul addressed this issue. Apparently, they were somewhat disorganized in the church in Corinth. Everybody wanted to do the same thing. And they were looking down on others who were who were doing something else, and Paul said, "You have no right to look down on them what god what they are doing what what God has given them to do is just as important as what uh, you were doing so he said in first Corinthians chapter twelve the body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. We were all baptized into one spirit, into one body, whether we were Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. And he goes on in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And it's a little bit long um, but I didn't know where to stop because I thought it was all so important. He said, Now the body is not made up of one of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, I am not a hand and I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, cease to be a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, cease to be a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as He wanted them to be. If they, are, if they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honors to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for one another. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it what this means is that we at Westminster Presbyterian Church need every single one of you none of you are expendable your gifts however slight they you may think they are we need them And you have been given those gifts by God. Your health, however fragile you may think it may be, must not keep you from serving here in this body. Because at the very least, you can do the most important work of all. And that is lift up this congregation in prayer continually. We need it. On the other side of the coin, none of us is greater than anybody else. We all have our jobs to play, our, our jobs to do. We all have our roles to play. We all have our gifts that we need to exercise. And this is important for our understanding of this passage. Because an issue had arisen here in the early church. So if you'll look with me at Acts chapter 6. The, um, this issue required the wise action of the apostles. And before we look at the passage in uh, detail, I want you to remember that the early church had had grown rapidly in its first several weeks of of existence. It started on the day of Pentecost with 120 people gathered together in prayer. Just a few months later, this 120 people... Had grown to many thousands. In fact, some of the commentators were speculating that the church at this time might have been over twenty thousand people strong. I don't know where they all would have gathered. I've been wondering about that all week. Um, I know that they gathered in in various uh, houses around the city. Um, The church history as well as the testimony of Scripture itself tells us that. But amongst these many thousands of people, there were different cultures, there were different nationalities, all represented amongst these believers. And amongst those, undoubtedly, were many who were turned out out of their homes because of their faith in Jesus Christ. They were cut off from their families because they had taken Jesus Christ to be their Lord and Savior. This apparently included several widows. And remember that in their day and age, there were no forms of welfare, there were no forms of Social Security, there were no life insurance pay, pay, payouts that uh, would go to any widows. If you were a widow and your children did not take you in, if they turned you out because of your faith in Jesus Christ and rejected you, then you were in a very desperate situation. Remember in the previous weeks how we noted uh, at different times in the scriptures here in the in the book of Acts they were uh, people were selling their lands and their possessions and giving all their money to the church. Well, part of this money that was coming into the church was being distributed to the widows, but there were some Greek-speaking widows, or rather, some Greek-speaking Christians who perceived that uh, this distribution was inequitable, that more of the the daily distribution of food and and, uh, clothing and money was going to the Hebrew-speaking Christians than to the Greek-speaking Christians. So you see in verse 1, now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, which would be the Greek speaking Christians, arose against the Hebrews, and that would be the Hebrew speaking Christians, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So, how did the apostles respond to this complaint that had arisen? Did they become defensive and seek to justify their actions? No. Did they ignore the complaint? Of course not. So what did they do? They solved the problem. They called a congregational meeting, to use the term that we would use today. You see it right here in verse 2. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples. So they called a congregational meeting. Jim? It would be uh, interesting to know if they gave a month's notice. <laughs> our book of church order, and Jim, our clerk, says that we should we have to give a, a, a full month's notice before we have a congregational meeting. We have a congregational meeting in two weeks, and so you've been seeing in the bulletin uh, this notice about the congregational meeting. But that's what they did. They called a congregational meeting. And then they made decisions on the divisions of labor in the church based on God's um, mission that he had given to the church. So we see in verses 2 through 4, he summoned a full number of disciples, and he said, It is not right that we should give up preaching uh, the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, and we will appoint them to this duty. The first thing we notice in regard to this division of labor is that the apostles, had a narrow yet well-defined job description. What is their job description? They are to devote themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. This job description uh, extends beyond the apostles and extends to the elders of the church today. I, as a teaching elder, have this job description. The ruling elders that serve this church, uh, many of whom are sitting here up front since we are going to serve communion, uh, observe communion uh, this morning, they have this same job description. Uh, in fact, in the Greek it reads uh, literally, to prayer and the ministry of the word we will devote ourselves. That's how uh, this verse reads here in chapter 6. So at its most basic level, this is my, this is the ruling elder's basic job description. Prayer is listed first. I believe it is mentioned first because I believe it is the priority. And then also the uh, ministry of the word. So let me ask you, elder, since I have you in my eyesight, there might be a few of you scattered out amongst, and Joe Bethany, I think, is probably out in the narthex. I hope he can hear me. So let me ask you, um, evaluate yourselves against this job description. That's what I've been doing this week. I've been taking a a rather hard-nosed look at how well I am fulfilling this most basic job. of my uh, jobs here at the church. The second thing we notice in regard to the division of labor is not only the elders but also these men who were chosen. They chose several men, in fact seven uh, to administrate the food and the money uh, that was given to the widows in the daily distribution. I believe this was an ordained position. I read several arguments through the week uh, where people were arguing that this was not an ordained position. I believe that this is the beginning uh, or the foundation of the office of deacon. The reason I believe it was an ordained position is in verse 5, they were elected by the congregation, verse 5, and what they said pleased the whole gathering and they, I believe that they, uh, chose Stephen and these others. I believe that they is the congregation. In fact, I'll back it up in verse 6 because they presented these men to the apostles. So verse 6, they set... Uh, these they set before the apostles. So it wasn't the apostles choosing, it was the congregation choosing. And then they brought these men uh, to, the, to the apostles. The apostles uh, examined them, uh, we would presume. And then, verse 6, uh, the apostles prayed and laid hands on them. So I do believe that this was an ordained position. These men, uh, noticed the qualifications, had a good reputation. They were known to be full of the Holy Spirit. They were wise. And also, it's often overlooked, but very important, they were all Greek-speaking. The complaint was coming from the Greek-speaking Christians, and so they they chose Greek-speaking men in order to oversee this distribution. Each man had a Greek name, Stephen. Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas. The wisdom of the early church can be seen in choosing these Greek speakers to address the complaints of the Greek-speaking Christians. I'm moving now uh, into the conclusion. I'm going to skip over this last point that is uh, listed on the back of your bulletin. The mission of the church determines the qualifications of the laborers. We have a couple of deacons coming before us in the next couple of weeks to be installed. And so uh, during that congregational meeting, I will speak more about the qualifications for officers. Instead, I'm going to move right into my concluding remarks. My first concluding remark is directed toward our God given mission. Our God given mission must be directed, or must direct and permeate everything that we seek to be and to do as a congregation. We must be founded and focused on the Great Commission. The Great Commission going and making disciples and then training those disciples to obey everything that Christ has commanded. Uh, Where do our worship services fall? Uh, This is... A little disconnected but uh, I thought it would be one of the questions that you might be asking. Uh, where does our worship services fall within this mission? I believe that our worship fall, services absolutely must fall under the Great Commission. I believe that the worship services are for believers to seek the face of God together, to, be, to become re-enthralled with His glory, to become reinvigorated in their obedience. So I see it falling really under the second half of the Great Commission to obey everything that Christ has commanded. We gather together and worship. We seek God's face. And we are reinvigorated when we are brought together as a congregation like coals being pushed together in a fire to remember how glorious our God is and how great His love for us in sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to be our Savior. And as we gather together, we're reinvigorated in our faith and are more apt and encouraged in our obedience. But I do believe that a significant um, calling of our church is founded on this aspect of going. Going to unbelievers... And I have stated before many times that I believe that we as a congregation have to grow in this aspect of our ministry, in this aspect of going, of being with unbelievers in order that we might share with them this glorious, this wonderful message that Jesus Christ came to seek and to save sinners. My second concluding remark is that we should be giving more thought to the organizational structure of the church. They faced a problem. This problem could have become a big problem. But instead, they addressed it immediately. And all it was was a little simple organization. And in verse 7... It says, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Even a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And Luke puts this here to show us how this one little simple act of wisdom, and of seeking God's face and and asking for His wisdom, this one little organizational, administrative act ended up um, causing the gospel to spread uh, so powerfully. The session had a very successful uh, retreat last weekend. And we gave a lot of thought to the organizational structure uh, of the church. One of the things that we did, one of the most important actions that came out of this is we formed an administrative uh, committee. I don't know if you've heard the old joke about the church catching on fire, what the different denominations, how the different denominations react to the church catching on fire. Well, the Presbyterians, of course, in this joke, and things are funny because there's so much truth in them, they formed a committee to uh, organize a plan so that everybody could leave the church in a decent and orderly fashion. Uh, The intention is for the administration committee to help us be more efficient rather than get bogged down. My third remark is simple. This passage tells us that we as a church can never leave the needs of our congregation left unmet. If you need assistance in whatever fashion, we are your family. Please do not hesitate to seek out one of the deacons or seek out myself uh, so that we can see how we might help, uh, help meet your needs. That's why the office of deacon was created. And my fourth and final remark is that the Lord Jesus Christ oversees the church. This congregation, this church is not, does not belong to us. It does not belong to me. It does not belong to the elders or the deacons. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. It must be organized underneath his rule. He, and he came here as the great physician, not to serve the spiritually healthy, but spiritually sick. He came not to call the righteous to himself, but sinners. We here at Westminster are called to be his physician assistants, as nurse practitioners, if if you will, to serve each other here in the body of Christ as we seek to be with Jesus Christ as our great physician, a hospital for sinners. Let's pray together. Almighty God, as we have opened your word and as I have sought to proclaim it faithfully, I ask, as I prayed at the beginning, That it would not return void, but would accomplish everything that you have uh, purposed for it to accomplish. Father, as we have the joy now of transitioning in our service to um, the Lord's table, I pray that you would be with us. And I pray that that, uh, our fellowship with you and with each other would be especially sweet this morning. Father, I pray you would reinvigorate us as a result of our being here with you this morning to be more faithful in our obedience. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.